Hey guys, it is 8.24 on a Tuesday evening. This episode should have been up at midnight, but there's a ton going on with the case. There's a ton going on infrastructure-wise with um, the resources that people have to send tips. We're going to be talking about all of that, but the cold open of this episode, I wanted to let you know, is audio from a video of an interview that Janine gave in 2012. It's posted to YouTube by user FindDamian. I'm going to post a link to that, even though the show notes aren't going to be quite ready. I want to be really, really clear. This is not me interviewing Janine. This is an interview that Janine gave and which has been posted since 2012 on YouTube. You can see that full video at the link in the description. All right. Enjoy the show. Odd. Just you think he would know. Where exactly did he drop him off? What house did he drop him off at? All he kept saying is, I don't know. Damien's friends really didn't say much. I guess the Warren police and even myself scared them. How can they not know? Oh yeah, they knew something. They wouldn't talk to the police, the parents. If one of Damien's friends came up missing, I'd be dragging him right by the arm down to the police station saying, you tell what you know. Um, parents would say, my kid is underage and does not need to talk to you. Parents weren't bringing the kids, the kids weren't giving any information. Um, my private detective, Herzog, that I hired, he couldn't get any information. I always have had a problem with any of the friends or even their parents. Why, if they weren't involved, why, why can't they talk to me? Or why can't they talk to the police? Whoever did this either had an upper hand somehow or something happened. I, I don't know, and I don't know how to explain it. From your daily local and Two Moms Media and Warren, PA, this is Smoke, the Disappearance of Damien Sharp. We're your hosts, Brian Hagberg and Stacy Gross. So right up front, I'm going to tell you that I screwed the pooch real bad in the last episode. Not bad in terms of volume. Mistake is less than 0.05 seconds of spoken audio, but... The beauty of this medium is that you can't even hear it anymore because I removed it. It being a sentence fragment containing the words, Pete has since passed away. In last week's episode, I was talking about the difficulty of investigating cases like Damien's because a large number of sources have either retired or passed away. I said that I couldn't find out why Crime Stoppers offered a significantly large reward on a case it usually wouldn't get involved in because its board president, Pete Carnavali, had since passed away. That is incorrect. It was another family member, and in the effort to fact check a bunch of things ahead of last week's episode, I did not fact check that it was Pete before I said and published it. And I'm really sorry. Trust me. Because Every unflattering thing anyone could think of me for that mistake, I've already laid awake since last Wednesday and thought it to myself at a far amplified volume than you're thinking it. I promise you that. But here's the thing. 
I keep a running list of things that need to be checked and double-checked before each episode because the show is about clarifying factual inaccuracies and distilling the story of Damien down to as coherent and likely a truth as we can come up with. Rarely do I have to spend more than a second checking a current fact, and so I did not prioritize checking that fact highly enough prior to publication. Equally rarely do I find a source from 2002 that's still able and available to talk. So when my brain thinks it's run up against one who's not, it tends to back down pretty quickly into acceptance. And this time, I allow that to happen too quickly. So here's what's up. I make mistakes because I'm a person and I'm managing an enormous amount of both factual and speculative information here, which I'm attempting to weave into a complete story and also publish in a way that's sensitive to both the ultimate importance of truth as well as the emotional content of this story for Damien's friends and family. It's a big job. And I head into this week with a deeper understanding of why that sensitivity matters to families, which isn't a topic I'll speak on, but I want to acknowledge. I will make mistakes, but my corrections will always, always be at least as loud as those mistakes. And there's a reason for that. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I'm finding mistakes in the way the system designed to get anonymous tips to law enforcement in Warren County works. I'm asking folks with way more credentials than me to be investigating jack and or shit to own up to mistakes. So the very least I can do is to model how to say, hey guys, I messed up. Way back in January, I did an interview with Aaron Mee for the Community Matters program produced by Lily Broadcasting. That interview aired in March of this year, and in it, I say that no investigation is perfect, whether it's of a law enforcement or a journalistic origin. And it's not because I'm a big fan of kissing anyone's ass that I say it's an important fact to remember. It's because it is. This investigation has been going on for 20 years, and you would be a fool to assume that no mistakes have been made. Mistakes have been made, in my opinion, and in the opinions of others I've spoken with who have more credentials to opine on that issue, as well as to investigate things. Mistakes are made daily. It's how they're handled and rectified that matters the most, maybe. It's not all that matters. Obviously, every mistake is regrettable, especially in a case like this. It's also debatable, and one person's mistake may look like another person's unavoidable or insurmountable challenge. Opinions are great. They don't fix things. So we can and should go back through this case over and over again until we figure out every mistake that was made, but not to shame anyone for it, because that would get us nowhere. Not to offer excuses for it either. That's not my job, and zero progress is made with that strategy anyhow. And I'm all about that progress. So, as I've been asking people more and more to reach out to Warren County Crime Stoppers, I mean, I ask you to do that in every episode, or Adam McCoy does, and he even gives you a number to call so you can do it. I've gotten more and more responses that the number, quote unquote, doesn't work. And I should tell you, the Crime Stoppers hotline is basically the entire reason this podcast exists in the first place. It was in the winter of 2020 that I sat in my living room with a friend while our kids slept upstairs and just 
tore through comments on the family's Find Damien Facebook page. If you, by the way, are a mom and your kids don't have friends whose moms also stay for grown-up sleepovers involving drinks and true crime, which start immediately upon putting the kids to bed, you need to go get you one of those mom friends. I have several, and I love every single one of them, and I would be incarcerated right now for sure if I didn't have them all. Anyhow, my friend and I sat there one night and did not sleep. We may have napped occasionally, but we did not fully sleep. We put the kids to bed. I probably opened a bottle of dry red, and she started telling me about when she called the Crime Stoppers line because of a comment on that Facebook page. Something about it, she said, it hit her guts in some kind of way, and you know what? Here, I'm just going to let her tell you about it. Here's Amy. Okay, so I was on Facebook one day and saw a post about Damien with the missing poster, I think. And in the comments um, was a guy saying he knew information the cops didn't know, and you know he named the names he said were responsible and and I wanted to make sure that someone was going to be able to check that out um, so I googled crime stoppers and called the number and someone picked up and uh, laughed into the phone quite pointedly and then hung up um, I mean I know they have caller ID so I waited a few minutes to see if anybody called me back you know maybe they had trouble answering the phone, and no one did. So I didn't really know what to do then if Crime Stoppers doesn't answer the phone. Um, I called the main number to the sheriff's office and asked the receptionist if I could speak with whoever was in charge of Damien's case. And she put me through to Sheriff Sable, and I relayed to him what I'd seen on the Facebook comments and who was was sharing that information, and it was a name that was familiar to him. Um, he said he'd actually seen him in the sheriff's office recently, and he sounded really interested in following up on speaking to that person about things he said he knows. Um, but mm-hmm. that was the that was the last I heard, and I I waited, but never did have anybody from Crime Stoppers call my number back, you know, to see what was what I needed to tell them. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what that was about. As soon as Amy told me that story that night, we dove straight into that page, and I listened to two full podcast episodes, both of which were so old that I had to uncover them through a chain of shady links. And then I think Amy probably did sleep while I went full crazy person rabbit hole spelunking. I remember that night in the winter of 2020, thinking to myself as I read and listened and took notes and listened and read some more, that this is madness. Madness. One night, less than 12 hours, and the madness of this case, the enormity, the complexity, the likely inability to get any official documentation for anything from where I stood at that time, It should all have sent me screaming, and I'm sure there's more than one person at least who wishes right now that it had, but bad news bears for them and only motivated me to untangle this viper's nest of rumor and speculation once and for all. It incensed me 
to read the comments on that page and to know that this much information was out there, but there was nothing to be done with any of it. Hell no. To the no, 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 you guys. A cold case goes cold because no one will talk about it. There is more than enough chatter in that page's comments to last even me a lifetime. Unless we figure this out together, which would be lovely, because I do have a bucket list that doesn't involve the internet and the phone, so if we could hasten me toward that eventuality, I would love it. Now, a cold case is cold because there is no more information to gather. This case was lukewarm at best when I got to it, and that's because y'all have never let it rest online. Which I appreciate. You kept it lukewarm. Damien's family, they kept it lukewarm by keeping that page going, even as Janine had Damien declared legally dead in 2018. Even as the attention grew less and less, with less and less consistency or structure to the narrative each year. You guys kept this case warm through a damn global pandemic. You're amazing. Thank you for every piece of information you ever commented or shared. We have a different strategy now, and I appreciate that on my page, as is appropriate to my page's purpose, you're not throwing theories and names out because that would be awful for the progress we've made. But it's because of all that over the course of 20 years that we're here today. The problem is that there's no coherence to any of it, and that anyone who's heeded my call over the past year to reach out to Crime Stoppers for the love of all that is good and holy, and tell what the hell you know, it's been fruitless. Even if you did heed that call, fruitless. Because, well, take a listen. That ringing? That's what you would get if you were to pick up the phone and call Crime Stoppers right now. In fact, go ahead, push pause, give it a call. 1-800-83-CRIME. It's ringing to nowhere, kids. And it likely has been for about two years. Since Amy successfully placed her call to that number in 2020. We're going to tell you what we know about that, and yes, I promise... We are going to get back to James's letter to the Warren County Sheriff, received by the Warren County DA on November 10th, 2003, in which James basically calls Hernan out for claiming he'd pinned Damien's disappearance on him. And that's a mighty-ass claim to lay down, so I'm not going to leave you hanging on it, but Crime Stoppers is a current issue, an emergent one. It came fully to my attention over the weekend, so it's just going to have to take precedence. We'll get to all that after this quick mid-roll. Do you have a question or a comment about this case or our coverage of it? Visit our Anchor site and click the message button to leave it for us in a voice recording. We may use your recording on an upcoming Q&A episode or other places throughout upcoming episodes. Do it. Peer pressure.
So before I even tell you how this awareness that the Crime Stoppers number isn't working came to fruition this past weekend, I want to tell you that I reached out today, Monday, June 20th, 2022, to everyone I knew to ask about it. I reached out to Warren County's current district attorney, Rob Green, as well as Sheriff Brian Zabel and Sergeant Brian Hamilton of the Pennsylvania State Police in Warren. I heard back from Sheriff Sable and DA Green, and I'm working to get current board members and state police representatives for Crime Stoppers in an interview. Again, we're one day into a week that starts on a federal holiday, but I wanted to at least make contact with the people responsible for administering that number before I tell you what's wrong with it. I'll be pursuing those interviews for the next week's episode because I think a quick resolution of this problem is in order. So after Amy told me about that call, I just jumped feet first in the rabbit hole, reading comments, listening to interviews, reaching out to family members, impulse control, not a feature of mine that they lead with in the brochure, if you recall. It wasn't until Sunday, June 12th of this year that I started hearing that calling the number wasn't working. One listener reached out with a tip they'd shared with family through that Facebook page. And in the screenshots for that chat from 2015, this person was told that Crime Stoppers offers a way to tip anonymously and also offers a reward. This person was given that number, and I asked, did they ever wind up calling it? The information they were sharing with the family in 2015 was from someone else and through this person, and they said that they never did call that number. Everyone told me it was a waste of time, this person told me. I asked if they'd give it a try and let me know how it went. I should have just called the number myself, obviously, but it feels like calling 911 when you don't really have an emergency, and dispatchers hate it when you just call them for no good reason, I'm assuming. So I figured, since someone's definitely going to pick that line up, expecting Damien information, it would be inappropriate for me to call it and divert resources just to try it on. I figured, if someone has actual information, a report back is probably the best way to go. That way, the info would get to where it's supposed to be going, and I'm not telling you that Crime Stopper either rocks or sucks based on my own opinion of how my own call went. Which, I mean, it would have been weird, right? Hello, Crime Stoppers. Hi. Do you have a tip? No, I just wanted to see what happened when I called you. Nah. It makes sense, right? Why I didn't call that number at first. Mostly, I didn't call it because I fully expected that someone on the other end would pick up. You guys, I fully expected someone on the other end to pick it up. That's why I've been telling you to call it for damn near a year. So, okay, that was on June 12th. June 14th, two days after I talked with the source, they hit me up again. I tried calling, they wrote to me. It rang 12 times before I hung up. I'm calling back in a little bit. Okay. Well, Crime Stoppers phones are answered by volunteers, non-law enforcement folks who don't just go around taking it upon themselves to do this stuff out of the blue. Like, surely it can't be a 100% success rate all the time. It was a Tuesday. It was almost 1 p.m. People work. People have kids. Right? This person and I chatted back and forth a little, and then I went back to my work day, and the next afternoon, around the same time, I got that ding. Day two. No answer, they wrote. Again, this would have been an outstanding time for me to have picked up the phone and just called the damn number. <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately, as I alluded to in the introduction of this episode, I was dealing with a situation involving members of my own family, 
I wasn't able to cognitively do that. So it was a couple days before that situation died down. And when it did, that made it Friday. And so Friday is when I sat down to make that call. Here, I recorded it a second time just to make sure I wasn't doing it wrong. It's 11.57 on June 16th. I'm trying to call Crime Stoppers with some Damien information. This person, a Warren native, no longer local, who's been reaching out across miles in a chasm of social distance as a complete stranger to me with only one thing I know of in common, which is a desire for resolution in Damien's case. I have literally given people info to take to the cops, they told me. I have now called twice and no answer. Do they really want this case solved? You guys, I can't answer that yet. I want to, and I will, and you can trust that, but as of right now, all I can tell you is that the number I've been telling you to call, the one to make anonymous tips and get paid two grand, not functional. So from this point on, if you know something and you don't want to tell the cops and you don't want your name said, and shit, I'll raise $2,000, please. If you've called in a tip to Crime Stoppers since the winter of 2020, call it in again to me, please. It is so important that someone have a coherent record of information from this line. If you've had a bad experience calling Crime Stoppers about Damien since 2002, I have no idea who you talk to, but I'm personally sorry for that interaction right now. Call me instead. Text me instead. Message me on Facebook Messenger instead. Email me instead. Stop me in the produce section instead. For right now, I'm your girl. And when this line gets fixed and is back to functioning and people are not being laughed at when they call it, I will start recommending you call them again. Not a minute before. Now, about that letter. I'm going to read it again for two reasons, which I'll give you in order of priority for me. Number one. You may not have listened to the last episode, but you definitely need to hear the letter I read at the end of it because it is full bananas foster. That's bananas, but with ice cream and rum that's on fire. Number two, I get to swear some if I do it again, so everyone wins. The letter written by James, who says he saw Damien between 5 and 6 p.m. on May 25th at his apartment at the Prospect Mansions, was received by the Warren County District Attorney's Office on November 10th, 2003. It reads, Dearest Sheriff, First clue, I'm not here, nor will I return. I feel my sentence is going to be unjust because the DA openly admitted that he was coming after me for the murder of Damien Sharp. I have a problem with this because I did not murder him. So instead, I'm getting the fuck out of your Commonwealth state. Shove it straight up your asses. Second clue. In less than 14 hours, I'll be gone. So hurry. Thank the DA for missing all my beautiful flowers. 36 pounds of sweet, plump tomatoes. So I'm heading for a warm, pussy-filled place with a pocket full of money and a book bag full of ripe, luscious tomatoes. Have a nice day. So here's James's legal timeline within the context of Damien's disappearance. It's not complete, but I'm going to give you the pieces we need right now to discuss this letter. 
May 25th, 2002, Damien and James meet, hang out at James's place on Prospect Street from 5 to 6 p.m. Damien's reason for going to the apartment was to buy a pound of weed from James. James did not sell Damien that weed, but the two watched a video and parted on the street outside the apartment at around 6 p.m., planning to meet up later, according to James, at a party on Brown Run Road. In July, James moved from the mansions to a place on Russell Street, about a mile from the mansions, closer to Damien's house. On August 16th, 2002, James was arrested for a fight in which he injured another individual outside Freddy's bar on Warren's east side. The district attorney, Hernan at that time, filed information on the case on October 8th, 2002. Information in this context is a formal accusation against an individual in writing by a jurisdictional prosecutor. Basically, the DA reads through everything related to the arrest based on everything learned between then and now, things like emergency department reports, results of drug and alcohol testing, interview statements made, and other case-by-case specifics. Whether the specific violations against the specific laws alleged by the patrolman who arrested the defendant are appropriate and applicable. Then, he or she charges the individual themselves sometimes slightly differently than the patrolman did based on that intervening evidence that presents itself. And the case heads off to the full court process. On, weirdly, November 10th, 2002, James was arraigned. Arraignment is the initial court proceeding of a case when a defendant is brought before the court to hear the charges against them, to answer those charges by pleading guilty or not guilty, or asking for a continuance to plea, And it's determined whether the defendant wants a lawyer, and if so, whether they will retain their own or need to be assigned a public defender. Bail is set at these proceedings, if necessary, as are future court proceedings related to the case. The case proceeded through the court, and on August 25th of 2003, a jury trial was held in which James was found guilty on the aggravated assault and disorderly conduct charges by a jury which found him not guilty of public drunkenness, a summary offense in that altercation. In many cases, especially with minor charges like misdemeanor and summary offenses, judges can sentence immediately after a defendant pleads or is found guilty. This can also happen if the defendant agrees to a plea negotiation or the district attorney's sentencing recommendations to the judge. Other times, judges defer sentencing to take into account often complex sentencing guidelines, matrices, variables within the case, any potential freedoms they have in sentencing and anything else they need to get right with God on before they sentence this defendant. In this case, the verdicts were filed on August 26th of 2003. Various entries in the case, things like disposition filings and bills of costs, were submitted for the following month. On September 25th, 2003, James's attorney, Sean White, filed a motion to continue James's sentencing. On October 24th, the county filed its last bill, and on November 7th, a bench warrant was filed on James for failure to appear at sentencing. According to a Times Observer article shared with me, but not dated, Sarver was considered armed and dangerous as he ran from sheriff's deputies who'd been tasked with finding him. That fact leads me to believe that this ultra-brief piece with an inline photo of James's mugshot likely ran between that Saturday, November 8th and Monday, November 10th. A bolo for an armed and dangerous sentence skipper is pretty public safety related, so time really would have been of the essence in publishing that. Either way, James shot that letter off right quick before dipping out, and he did that, he says, in the letter, because he anticipated that his sentence was going to be totally unfair. 
So why? Why would James think that Judge William Morgan, who sentenced him, would lay a whack-ass sentence down on him for what he argued was a bad deal for sure, but nothing more than a bar fight, got all the way out of control after it jumped off? Plenty of things can go into a defendant's sentence, including prior offenses or convictions, letters and statements asking for strong sentencing from victims, letters and statements from employers, counselors, and friends and family of the defendant asking for leniency. All these things and more can sway a judge to make tweaks to a sentence. Sentencing guidelines are supposed to ensure that judges can't just lay down whack-ass sentences on defendants willy-nilly because a district attorney doesn't like them or wants to use them to sweep an unsolved case under the rug. So I asked James last January. I actually did open with this rather than the did you kill Damien thing because, you know, icebreakers are sometimes fun. I introduced myself to James on January 4th of this year. I did all the social things, the pageantry. Hey, what's up? Here's my name. Here's my credentials. Ooh, also, do you remember sending the tomatoes and pussy letter about Hernan to Sheriff Copco? I sent that message at 5.11 p.m. and expected a tense wait. Days. Maybe weeks. I stocked up on the kinds of snacks when you've got a lot of big emotions to bury, mostly carbs, before I even sent the message, thinking I'd be sweating out that answer like Jack Torrance at the end of The Shining, waiting for spring. I was excited and overly stocked with the sweet bliss of simple carbs at 1 minute to 7 p.m. when James responded. My information came second, James told me. My attorney hinted at this, and it made perfect sense to me, because Damien's family was at every one of my court hearings that I had. Plus, Rick Hurd and the DA was interviewing other inmates soon after they came into the county jail, trying to hoax them into saying that they had information that I had something to do with his disappearance. It was all hearsay, but I had guys, inmates, telling me that the DA was offering them deals to say what he needed them to say, to come after me in regards to this case. Now, inmates talk, James told me. But what surprised me was I had guys telling me this as I first met them. Like, oh shit, you're the guy the DA was trying to get me to set up. Things like that. Well, damn. So James is good at breaking ice himself. I like how James breaks ice, I'll say that. I'm a pretty direct person. Truth or not, I liked James's direct-as-hell reply right off the bat. I didn't even get a chance to follow up before James sent another message, and it read, I was a bad guy. I certainly did wrong. But in my opinion, I served more time because this DA had it out for me over Sharp's disappearance. In fact, I'm not comfortable speaking about this, not because I have anything to hide, but because people out there still believe I'm that guy. They actually interviewed cellmates I had in prison. It's my belief they were or are so focused on me that the truth eluded them. Like I said, I certainly was no angel and I did plenty of wrong in my life. But the truth is, I had nothing to do with whatever happened in this case. I hope this is helpful. Have a good night. Well, damn, damn. Honest to God, I expected (laughs) two words back. One a verb and one a noun taken together as a command for how I should spend the rest of my evening. I'm not used to things turning out better than I expected, and I've learned to actually expect them to turn out real, real shitty so as to avoid the daily experience of crushing disappointment. Either way, I tend to go into interviews 
which for me are mostly chat logs in the end, the same way I do conversations. Curious, open-minded, with a list of questions or theories, but open to having any one of them destroyed like a damn battleship because I'm here for the actual truth and not the version of the truth that I want the truth to be. Hard as that can be when the truth sucks. Either way, I wound up checking in with James multiple times over the course of several weeks, and we went back and forth talking about the last time he saw Damien, talking about transitions out of prison after what added up to a total of 16 years, and just generally getting the war in 2002 vibe. Eventually, James said, I have a couple questions for you. Did you think I would speak to you? Was the thing in the beginning about the DA really a topic, or was it just your attempt to get me to speak? Hernan really did attempt to get numerous inmates to not tell the truth, but to tell the truth he wanted told. Numerous people I didn't know told me the same story time and again. Then the state police threatened me numerous times regarding this issue. I was just wondering if this was your in with me. Dear God, no. I totally, totally get that question, but hard no. No. I was shocked that James answered me at all. And while I had been going to open for months and months with that whole, did you kill Damien icebreaker, I found that letter and it was actually the first thing I did want to know about. I mean, he basically answered that question pretty strongly in the letter, and it wasn't likely that his answer would have changed between then and now. I wanted so much more information about that letter, because James is literally saying in it that the county's DA set him up to be the guy to take the fall for Damien's disappearance, whether he did it or not. So I was mostly curious about this because there was one legal connection to Damien that night in his friend group. The guy that was driving Damien around town, the one who dropped him at the corner of Dahl and Prospect Streets around 5 p.m. on Saturday, May 25th. His dad was Rick Hernan's assistant DA. And Janine also said in that 2012 interview that a local lawyer's son had been questioned but just never came up with any answers and eventually she said it was dropped. Not because his role in Damien's last known day alive was clarified at all, Janine said, but because he just said he didn't know and it got tiresome for everyone. I asked James whether he could remember any names of any of those inmates who told him Hernan had attempted to recruit them to set James up as the fall guy. I would love to help you, he told me, but as I've stated, I'm horrible with names. At one point, I actually started a list. The only guy I can remember for sure is... But honestly, there was no less than five people who told me he tried to get them to go on record and lie. I believe that I was the last person to come forward, so I got it. But what if I'm not the guy? That's their job to find the truth out, not just to drop it on the last known guy. And pretty much, that's what they did, said James. So I asked him, what was even up? Like, what was the ultimate goal with that letter? Said James. That was just to make them think I was gone. Just buying myself some time to get everything in order that I could, but I was going to leave the state. In actuality, James said he spent from November to January on the run in the woods of Warren County. James's court summary reflects this as motions to stay, petitions to forfeit bail, and various other items filed onto the list until January 26th, when the sheriff's return of service on that bench warrant indicates that the warrant was served. There's more to this story because there's another docket for James that I just won't have time to break out right now, but what I need to do at this point is talk to you 
about how I feel about everything that James told me. So here's the deal. I reached out to who was at one time and still is today for many, the guy a lot of countywide law enforcement at the time considered possible suspect one in a man's disappearance and potential homicide. And I reached out to a former district attorney seeking information on a letter sent to him by that person that the cops largely suspected, though they never named. One of those people spoke with me on and off for days and days and weeks, you guys, for weeks. This person spoke with me, offered more information than I asked, answered my questions regularly, answered them pretty quickly too, and was generally polite, was generally responsive. In fact, I apologized to him at one time for swearing so much. Take that for what it's worth. The other of these two people, the one of the two I least expected to give me the terser of the two responses, he gave me two words when I brought up that letter to him. No thanks. Now, that's completely Rick Hearn's right. No one has to talk to me. Doesn't mean anything, but I would have expected him to want to address that letter. I didn't have a preset way in my head that I expected him to do that. Whether he'd deny its validity or discuss it, I expected he'd have more than two words for me for sure. Certainly more words for me than the quote-unquote suspect. And it's disappointing. It's disappointing when former officials won't weigh in on this case because the crux of one major argument among both the public and the people involved is that this case was mishandled. That Damien was ignored by police, that anything they did to try and find him was for show and for show alone. And no, it's not easy for me to trust anyone when they jump right in with protestations of innocence to anything I ask them about. But between a former elected official and a former prisoner of the state correctional system, I guess it just bums me out to see the parolee is more willing to entertain my random questions and for way, way longer than he ever had to. Way, way longer than the former elected official. No thanks is not an answer to the question, would you like to comment on this letter that says you set up a patsy in a man's disappearance because he was a convenient scapegoat and implies any kind of respect for this case for Damien or for James. James as he is now. And sure, I don't know who James was then or who the hell he is now, aside from what he and others tell me. But I can tell you that he didn't commit any crimes in prison that I can find. And as someone who's been to jail and then changed her life, I tend to want to believe that other people are capable of the same thing because I'm really not that special. Not one crime in 16 years. And prison seems like a pretty good place for a guy who gets mad and acts on it by committing aggravated assault when someone tweaks him wrong to be goaded into committing some more violent crimes. James didn't. The person that James knocked out was a person with whom he had a conflicted past as a child, which involved domestic bickering at the very least. I can't find that James did anything to Damien besides watch a UFC fight and make some phone calls that night. I just can't. I'm not saying there's nothing more to this. I'm just saying that right now I'm finding more openness from the man Rick Hernan put in prison for 16 years than from Rick Hernan. And that's a damn disappointment, honestly. James could turn out to be completely and utterly full of absolute shit by the end of this show. Who knows? And even if he does, I'm still going to be more disappointed in the man a bunch of people elected to 
ultimately prosecute James into prison in the first place. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, after all. So, I've got some work to do for you all headed into this week. I'll be reaching out to Crime Stoppers board members to find out exactly when that tip line went offline and what the plan is to restore it to working order. And I'll be working through another emergent theory on this case that's come up just today. This episode was rough because this past week was busy as well. But I'll do my best to also get you some recorded interviews so you don't have to listen to me squawking at you for another hour next week. I'll also put Jody Hollabaugh up as bonus. In the meantime, for now, if you have information to share on any of this, from seeing Damien that night, May 25th, 2002, to having been one of those inmates that Rick Hernan allegedly sought to call James out as the guy for Damien's disappearance, I would love to hear from you. And since we're down a tip line at the moment, just text me. Seriously, though, if your number looks spammy and you don't leave me a message, I'm going to assume you want money I don't have and not call you back. Let's all brave up here a little bit, guys. Text me, call me, and if you tell me it's about Damien right hand to God, you will hear back before anyone else. Unless they also have Damien info, in which case, Q starts to the left and welcome to the Cool Kids Club. Right now, this is me dragging every last one of you who knows anything down the street like Janine said she'd pulled Damien if the roles were reversed and his friend had gone missing, dragging you by the arm, asking you, please, tell what you know. Let's put it to bed, guys. Until we do, I'll be working hard to bring you more information next week. Stay tuned. We just finished seven whole episodes, and I promise you, there is no way we're almost done. There's too much left unanswered. So, hey, just real quick. Sorry. Uh, it is Tuesday evening. This should have already been up for subscribers at midnight, but I was working really hard to try to get a hold of somebody from Crime Stoppers just to get a little bit more information. I did speak with treasurer Gary Barnes um, this afternoon, and he let me know that basically the Crime Stoppers board has not met since COVID started. Um, it's been about two years. Um, I still am not sure specifically what is wrong with the number. Gary said that they've been working to try to correct it since they became aware, but it's basically a brand new and fluid situation to them as well. I will be keeping you posted, but I just wanted to let everybody know I am working hard to try to figure out what exactly is going on and also to find out what the plan is to get the problem fixed. Um, you'll be the first ones to know. All right. Till next week, guys. Sorry, it's a little bit short. Um, I'll do better next week. It's been a, a weird week. Smoke is a production of Two Moms Media and Your Daily Local. Created, written, and told by Stacey Gross. Executive producers are Stacey Gross and Brian Hagberg. Our theme song is Diddy Six, written and produced by Bob Gross. Voice acting by Frank Williams and Adam McCoy. Audio production, transcription, and cover art by Stacey Gross. Check out the show notes for links to our website, sources we used, and a full transcript of each episode. Visit us on social media at Let's Find Damien. If you like the show, tell everyone. Remember to follow the show wherever you're listening, rate, and review. It helps us out a ton.